Welcome back to Hot Takes and Deep Dives. And I am here today to bring you a polished up version of an interview I did with Ariana Maddox nearly three years ago to the day. While I am hesitant to jump into the Scandaval noise machine, I do find it worthy to blow the dust off a very nice profile on Ariana. We talk about her New York City days, her transition from working at Villa Blanca to working on camera at Sir, and of course, the early romance with Tom Sandoval, the Kristen Doty of it all, her friendship with Kristen, their home buying process in LA, and a lot more. After that, you guys all know my best friend from college, Astrology with Andy. Well, Andy actually did the relationship chart of Ariana and Tom for me a few years ago. So I'm going to blow the dust off of that as well. And that's going to play directly after the interview with Ariana. Andy will be back next week for a full-length deep dive on the astrology of Tom, Ariana, and Raquel today when the affair started and moving forward into the next year or two. So here's the interview with Ariana. Um, I guess it's just as a side note, I am figuring out what I want to do with the show in general. I still absolutely love doing it. However, I am beginning the research and development work on a new limited series podcast idea that I have. So I'm trying to see if I can do the two simultaneously. Time will tell. Either way, this show isn't going anywhere. There may just be some breaks in between episodes while I'm trying to juggle the two. Anyway, here we go with Ariana. I am here with one of the few remaining cast members on Vanderpump Rules who is coming out smelling like a rose. <gasps> Guys, we have oh. Ariana Maddox with us. Hi. How are you tonight? <laughs> good. I'm good. I'm smelling like a rose. I don't know about that. Listen, we're talking about a galaxy of, is it 19 cast members now? S- many of whom have committed unforgivable sins. <laughs> I mean, you. Well, we forgive them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm being facetious, but <laughs> you are the one that I consistently am like, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, well, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, there are definitely people who watch the show and think, like, oh, God, will she ever shut up? But <laughs> I mean, what has been. I'm happy to hear that. What has been something that you received a lot of criticism for that you've said? Uh, well, I mean, in general, I've had people say that I'm just like boring, (laughs) which I'm like, well, I feel like the only people who find things boring are boring themselves. Also, I find, you know, the human experience is quite interesting. So I can't imagine saying that. But I guess also, if you're used to watching like crazy reality TV, then sure, fine, maybe I am. But I've also had general criticism of just like, People put thoughts, you know how someone will say like, um, don't put words in my mouth. Mm -hmm. People will put thoughts in my head. People will say, you think this or you think that. And I'm like, I don't think any of those things. Like what? um, They'll say, Ariana thinks she's better than everybody. And I'm like, I actually don't think that could, could not be further from the truth. I have so many questions for you in all different areas. Why don't we start, you're originally from Florida, but you spent a bunch of your formative years here in New York City where I am. Yes, I did. So what were you doing at that time? Uh, I would spend summers in New York while I was in college um, taking classes at NYU. Um, That NYU summer program was like such a godsend for me. What were you studying? Theater, audition technique, uh, vocal, taking vocal training. Were you at Tisch? It was through Tisch, yeah. But it wasn't like, like I didn't have to like get be in Tisch for it. So that was great. (laughs) Yeah, I was acting, bartending, all of that when I lived in New York. Um, My first like paid acting gigs were while I was living in New York. So it was fun. Do you remember the places where you bartended? Oh, yeah. Um, Butter restaurant. Oh, my God. In NoHo. Yeah. 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 And now it's in um, now there's one in Midtown, which is like so crazy. Yeah. Um, So Butter restaurant, I worked there for so long. And then I bartended at Puffy's Tavern in Tribeca, which is just like a little Irish pub. I attended at Johnny Utah's in Rockefeller Center for a while. And then I would do like events and stuff. I had a lot of really weird jobs. Uh, I was a go-go dancer for a while. Where? Uh, a lot of meat packing. So like Marquee, there was Marquee, uh, One Oak sometimes, like right when that first opened. What years were these? This was like, I moved to LA at the end of 2010. So this was like from like 2005 on and off and then 2007, like solid all the way to 2010. 
Yeah. And where was your where was your apartment? Uh, my first apartment was 13th between first and second East Village. East Village. Then I was sixth between A and B, and then I was Clinton Street between Stanton and Rivington. So Lower East Side. Yeah. So I just kept going further and further this way. <laughs> Did you like living in New York? I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, that was the hardest thing about moving to LA is that, I mean, everyone, when, whenever someone's new to LA, everyone always says, give it, trust me and give it time. And it took me a lot longer than most because I really did love living in New York. And the reason I moved to LA was just opportunity and cost of living being slightly lower. And so I never, when I first moved, I didn't feel like I was maybe ready to. So I kind of would, I was holding on to that, like, why well, would move from New York thing for quite a while, for like three years. <laughs> they say that New York is horrible fun and LA is boring paradise. That, <laughs> yeah, I get, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Right. Because it's so <laughs> difficult. Just like the weather is punishing, it's just like punishing fun here. Yeah. Like I'm like right now, I'm just, it's blue skies, like 70 degrees out. So <laughs> did you move out to LA with friends? Um, I moved out here by myself. Oh, wow. Um, but I had a friend, like one of my dearest friends, she moved to San Francisco maybe like a year and a half. Um, before and then we both decided to move to LA at the same time so like I moved from New York by myself but then she met me down here and then we lived together for our first year and when you first moved to LA what neighborhood did you settle on Los Feliz east side oh. I'm an east side girl <laughs> oh nice so were you living in Los Feliz when you started on the show no, I was living, I had moved to Silver Lake at that point when okay. I started on the show. Oh, but yeah. still East Side. But still East Side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much East Side. And I only really moved, I didn't like hang out in West Hollywood. I worked in Beverly Hills at Villa Blanca, of course. And then like working at Sur, that's in West Hollywood. So I would like, you know, drive out there for work. Um, but it wasn't really like where I like to hang out. Like I kind of had like all my friends were on the East Side and everything. And so... Um, when Tom and I, we were together for about a year before I, I moved out my, my beautiful, oh, I loved my Silver Lake bungalow so much. And then the landlord decided we want to do major renovations and they like destroyed all of my garden outside doing their renovations and like they were do redoing the siding. And so like, Stuff was falling off my walls while they were working on it. It was awful. Mm -hmm. So about a year into our relationship, I moved in with Tom. And then, yeah, then I was I was not happy living in West Hollywood. <laughs> so you're living in Silver Lake or, or Los Feliz, Silver Lake area. Yeah. And you want to get a job just to make money. And you were pursuing like an acting career. And I know that yeah. you dabble in comedy as well, right? Yeah, comedic acting. Yeah, Comedic acting. Oh, so you weren't like part of UCB or anything like that? No, I've taken classes at UCB, but like I don't do like live stand up or anything like that. But um, definitely like the sketch world. And I moved to LA for TV. That was like the big thing I moved to LA for. The dream job would just to be like get a role on a on a series. Yeah, that was the dream job. That was the goal. When I was younger, you know, growing up, my goal was Broadway, and that was a oh, big wow. reason why I moved to New York is musical theater. And then I kind of realized that you can't really break into musical theater in the same way that you can't really break into TV without having what they call a name mm -hmm. um, or like a following or whatever. So then that's when I was like, well, if I'm going to do Broadway, I'm going to have to do TV because people are going to have to know who I am before they care. Right. Um, so to LA and I started trying to, you know, break into TV and stuff like that. Who put the idea in your head or rather like how was it this twist of fate that you wind up getting a job bartending at Lisa <laughs> Vanderpump's restaurant Villa Blanca? Okay, so uh, one of my friends who advised me to move to LA, I had, like two uh, friends who lived in LA that I met working on a project living in New York. And they were like, you need to come out. And they were like, we're give you all the advice we can. And one of them had a manager, like a acting entertainment manager. And his office happened to be above Villa Blanca. 
And he was like, I went to my manager's office yesterday and I saw that they're hiring at this place downstairs. I know you just moved here and you bartend. Like, do you want to? And I also was like cocktail waitressing at a comedy club and it was hell on earth. So it was like, yes, please. I would love a bartending job. What was the comedy club that you worked at? The Laugh Factory. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. It was not fun, like crouching down in the middle of an audience in the middle, like take their order in the middle yeah. of a set. Yeah. Yeah. And like try to whisper because you don't want to like, it's, oh my gosh, it's very <laughs> awkward. It's not fun. So I was like, yeah. So I interviewed there and uh, that's when I got hired as a, you know, I felt like I was, they, I was definitely qualified to bartend there and started working there making friends. I mean, everybody at Villa Blanca was really good friends. That's the thing about like, sir was where the crazy drama was. And Villa Blanca was like where everybody was just hanging out. We were all friends. We all just loved each other. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't know that there was a housewives of Beverly Hills. How's that possible? I, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I knew that there was like, okay, so like desperate housewives, the like scripted show. And then I knew that there was one, uh, real housewives, which I guess was like the OC. I was completely unaware that they had then started doing other cities. Wow. And so I was bartending one day and somebody came up and was like, can you sign this release in case you're in the background? I was like, in the background of what? What are we doing? Also, normally people get paid for the that. So what's going on? And they were like, well, what's for housewives? You know, and I was like, oh, like, oh, Orange County housewives. That's and they were like, no. <laughs> Um, Lisa Vanderpump, she's the owner of this restaurant. I was like, I was completely unaware of that. Are you background in an episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? I'm sure I'm on the cutting room floor background of a few <laughs> of them, just from I'm in the nature of how much they film. But I'm definitely in the background of one of the parties they had. I remember like someone tagged me in it once. It's like me and Tom are bartending at this party. And I remember everyone had to wear angel wings and yeah. Yeah, you should try and find that and like screen grab it that if we yeah. can, we should try and find that exact episode because that's like a piece of bra- that is Bravo history. Right? Yeah. And we're like standing there like putting, you know, garnishing drinks and stuff. Yeah. So who are the other who is the cast of characters that you were working with at Villa Blanca? Well, Sheena, uh, Tom Sandoval, and then Pandora, Lisa's daughter, Pandora, her husband, Jason, Jenna Willis, who is like a great personal trainer. You probably see her on like Lala's Instagram a lot. She's really good friends with Lala. Tina McDowell, who was on the first season of Vanderpump Rules. Love her so much. There's like a whole crew. It's actually so funny because we actually just started a Villa Villa Blanca crew group text. (laughs) You did? (laughs) Yeah, there's like there's like so many people in it. And we're like trying to find like a time to have like a reunion. We're gonna have like a big Villa Blanca reunion. That's fun. For the first time I remember seeing you on Vanderpump Rules is that scene where you it must have been the very beginning of season two, you are basically introduced through Sheena, where you say you're basically throwing some shade at Kristen like basically she was like jealous of you because you were going to be transferring over to sir and is that kind of the way it all kicked off um no well that was actually filmed after the season two finale and then put out of kidding me that's why we were so bitchy (laughs) because we knew about the Kristen and Jack's thing so we were like being bitchy on purpose because we were so pissed. So why did they... Um, okay, so let me piece this together. So I think they just wanted to introduce, but then they ran out of time in the filming schedule. Got it. And so it got thrown in at the end. But then we were like in the mindset of the end, as opposed to being in the mindset of like, oh, I'm actually about to start at CERD, you right. know? Um, so we were being like, we were pissed because all of that stuff had just happened like the night before. So that was crazy. But yeah. (laughs) So when they initially came to you, was it literally Lisa Vanderpump who came to you and said, listen, I want you to join the cat? Because now it was an established show, Vanderpump Rules. Like, did she literally come to you and say, like, hey, we think you'd actually be good on the show? Um, No, I don't think Lisa um, definitely didn't talk to me off camera about about that. It was more a thing of over season two and even a little bit season one. 
there would be things going on. You know, Sheena is a very good friend of mine. Obviously, Tom Sandoval was a good friend of mine too at the time. And like, there would be things happening like her birthday, you know, and it's like, I want to go to my friend's birthday, but I'm like, not but this is being filmed for television. Meanwhile, also the guy I was dating was like super, super, super controlling and awful and disgusting and just like very, very against all of that. And so I was always like afraid of being on a reality show because I was like, he's going to hate me and all that coupled with the fact that I was like, well, they're getting paid and I'm not. So kind of this, of this thing of like, I want to go to my friend's birthday, but then it becomes a thing of like, but then it's a show. It's like, diff- there's like two, multiple things happening at once. But then it was just, it felt bad. It felt like so difficult to keep missing out on moments in my friend's lives because it's being filmed. Like, I'm like, I just want to go or just be IRL, you know, and so there would be, you know, things presented of like, asking me to be more involved or, you know, making it so I was more involved. And then I asked my acting teacher, actually, what she thought of it. And she said, you should do it. And so I was like, you know what, fine, I will. (laughs) Take me through your romance with Tom, like the love story, like you guys were friends, obviously, for a while, a couple of years. You know, he was with Kristen for um, how many years was he with Kristen? I think five. Wow. That's kind of unbelievable. Like now that like you see the way it's all (laughs) like, isn't that like a real head scratcher? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I mean, to me, yeah, I guess it is now. It's also funny because like, yeah, so he he was in a relationship. I was in we were both in objectively. Objectively, we were both in really horrible relationships. And when we would bartend together, we would kind of be like, I'd be like, how's it going? And be like, oh, this is happening. I'd be like, well, you should probably apologize. Or, you know, like we would try to help as friends do, you know, especially when you're working together and you're in the trenches bartending. Um, Yeah, we were friends for a few years. And then when my dad passed away in like August of 2013, that was right also right after the season two finale. Um, so right after like Tom punching Jacks and blah, blah, blah. And we weren't really hanging out. We weren't, you know, we weren't, well, I think people, especially after something like that, everybody kind of takes like a, a break from each other. Most of the time, like when we stop filming, people kind of tend to keep to themselves a little bit, kind of recuperate from filming. Season two of Vanderpump Rules is like a Shakespearean tragedy. I yes. think it is one of the greatest seasons of television scripted or reality like period it's insanity right yeah no it's it is good tv i mean it was pretty brutal in real life (laughs) but i feel like whenever it's really brutal in real life it's kind of gonna be great tv but yeah so i was over at sheena's house her apartment with her and her then i think fiance yeah they were only engaged at that point with her and shay and Shay was like, oh, Tom Sandoval's going to come over and pick up an amp for me. We were like, okay, cool. You know, we kind of like hung out a little bit and I kept getting phone calls. Basically, my dad passed away that night. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And then I, I, he was such a good friend to me, like in that m- moment, like in that night that with Sheena and Shay, who, Shay, who drove all the way from West Hollywood to Silver Lake to pick up my dog and bring her over just to like, so we could all, so I could just have her with me. He, I just kind of like was like, wow, Tom is like a really good friend. And it was kind of like from that point forward, just like as friends that I was like, nobody's going to fucking talk shit about this guy because he would fucking do anything for the people he cares about. And then fast forward to like mid-November, I'm single, He the, he's single, he hits me up. Oh, what are you up to? And I was like on a date because after my dad died, I kind of was just like, I'm going to say yes to everything. I just feel like I need, I was single at that. I had just become single out of this awful, horrible relationship. I was finally like definitely done with that. And I felt like I needed to just start saying yes to things. See where it takes me. I'm on a date with somebody. Tom hits me up. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, this date's kind of, I'm kind of over it. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, I'll come meet up with you guys. It was like him and a few friends or whatever. 
And then I meet up and he's like, definitely like different. Like something was different. Mm -hmm. It was definitely seemed like was less of like a, Oh, just coming out with like a bunch of friends. All of a sudden it was like, kind of had a different vibe. (laughs) And that's when I kind of started to think like, is he go like putting the moves on here a little bit? And then I was like, this is actually not that weird. But of course, you know, when you're friends with somebody there, you run that risk when you cross the line of like, you know, you're going to lose that person as a friend or, or is this going to be something really great? But I was like, you know, fuck it. And so we kind of just in December started hanging out more as romantically, I guess you would say. And then we went on, you know, on New Year's day on January 1st, we took a road trip up to Napa and like, like went on a vacation together and it was just awesome. And then, you know, from that point forward, it was just, that was it. What's interesting is that probably in like the months that I assume it was the months that followed when you guys started filming the next season, when you guys are established as a couple, Kristen was awful to you, you know, accusing, you know, seeing you behind her back, all of these things. Now what's interesting is now the show is showing you as being friends yeah yet they never showed this transition they never showed how did ariana and Kristen actually form a friendship through like these were two people or at least i don't know what your opinion really i I think you just i mean from my memory you just kind it was your opinion that she was just kind of nuts but she was like really cruel and how did you become friends slowly um kind of like definitely I think it helped to we wanted to just create some like healthy boundaries and distance away from her at that time it it was like definitely a couple years three years two or three years later where you know especially with Brittany when Brittany came into the picture and we all loved her so much it's almost like Brittany kind of brought us all together in a sense and then we were able to be around each other and get to know each other outside of all of that other stuff. So like going to Vegas for Brittany's birthday one year, it's like we're all hanging out together, but you're getting to see like, what am I like when we go out and hang out? What are you like? Cause like before that I was like, they don't know me. They don't know what I'm like with my friends. And I don't know necessarily what they're like with their friends. I only know this other side. It was all within the context of Tom. You had to almost like remove that and have it just be like a girl's thing. Yeah. With Brittany. Yeah. 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 And like the context of like just Sir and all of that, you know, and the conflict. Did the show ever like, is it something that you guys filmed or like did the show, did the cameras like film that and just not air um, it? Some of it. Uh, there's definitely, there's some of it that definitely was off camera um when we were not filming Mm -hmm. and then there's some that I definitely that definitely ended up on like the cutting room floor was the beginning of really building more of a rapport and just like making some normalcy out of everything I'm just thinking about all the different cast members over time how you know like Lala and James were you know I think people forget like they were like new additions like they're so like canon now that like it's hard you know you almost forget um, yeah, but faith is an interesting one to study because they did try to bring her in as a cast member. And I guess in the end, they didn't wind up picking up her contract like she was there for a season. I remember I think it was the one where glass where uh, Jack stole the sunglasses. She dated Max Vanderpump's son Yeah, when we went to Hawaii. Yeah, she was on that one season. And then maybe it was like a year or two later that it was the whole season with Jackson, Brittany, and like he had cheated. Yeah. Why wasn't she present during that season, considering it was about her? Like, do you have any, um, do you have any insight? I think she was already, she was already off. She was already, I think, not going to be involved. Um, and then, but then because of this like giant thing that happened, she was involved in that moment. But she, I think, was, there was never, I don't think, any intention of her being on that particular season. And I don't think that that's anything because of her. I think it just, I know she was working at Sir for a while, and then she quit 
working at Sir when we weren't filming. And I think that they just, I don't know, they were very, you know, if, if you're not working at Sir, it's kind of like hard for them to figure out how you fit into everybody um, and like what's going on. I think obviously now that's evolving a little bit out of that. But for a long time, that was definitely like the thing. It seems like Jax is not part of your everyday life. I mean, I don't know that he was ever a part of my everyday life. But I mean, I just mean, through Tom, because they were really close. Uh, Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were close. But again, I mean, he wasn't like over at my house every day. He gave this interview actually to a Bravo outlet. D- did you he- re- hear that? Listen to this interview that he did. Uh, I did actually. Somebody sent it to me and was like, "Go to twenty eight minutes." <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. He was throwing around a lot of accusations, saying that he doesn't understand your relationship, and again, dwelling on the fact that you know, you don't want to get married. Like the plan is that you and Tom aren't going to get married, don't plan to have kids. And he just kept, it seems like he's projecting his childhood ideal of what it means to be a grown up, which is to have like the white picket house and the kids. And the fact that the two of you aren't going to have that in some way, it confuses him. And it obviously threatens him in some way. Otherwise, he wouldn't be saying two words about it. What was your reaction when your friend said, go to the 28 minute mark? I mean, I don't put a lot of credence into anything that he says in general. Um, He also told somebody yesterday or the day before that he's known me for 15 years, which I haven't even lived in LA. Yeah, we've just established that you were in the East Village. (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, I don't really put a lot of weight into what he says about me or my relationship. That being said, I feel like, you know, you can't, you can't like throw your relationship or your marriage around as like uh, a weapon, you can't like weaponize it. And also, you know, I don't have, my relationship doesn't have to look like his or anybody else's relationship in order to be stable or unhappy and, you know, committed or any of that. Have you ever been furious at production? Yeah. (laughs) Tell me. It's not often that I'm like really mad at like another cast member. I feel like I'm mad at production like way more often. Just like little things, you know, just I get in my head. I'm an overthinker. And so I'm like sitting here, you know, I just get in my head and I have these like thought spirals where it just gets out of control. And then, you know, I'm always like, what are they planning? You know, like, Mm -hmm. what are they plotting? And they're not usually. But I feel like I yeah, I get mad at them way more often than I get mad at anybody else. When Tom revealed the the stuff between you and Lala, you know, when he was like telling the guys, like, were you mad at production in any way for like egging him on? Like I imagine behind the scenes, they fueled that maybe a little bit further than Tom was going initially going to reveal. And they probably once they caught a little bit of wind of it, I could imagine them being, oh, we're going full throttle on this yeah I think somebody overheard something that was said and then it was like well you can't you got you got to tell us what's going on and that's fine that's their job I'm not I'm not mad about that at all my and my only beef with that whole thing was just you know the fetish fetishization yes (laughs) I to say right now um the fetishization of it for like the guys that was kind of the only thing I mean I understand they got to get the story and so that's fine that was that was fine with that you know I get it yeah you know I have to say I mean just to like let you know like I am gay like I have a partner and the reason why I know they are missing out on something by not casting a lesbian housewife like that like I'm saying this from my life experience like my <laughs> friend like I I mean I'm sure you watch the L word like you know what this could, you know the crazy that was all drama <laughs> yeah like, you know um but I have yeah. to say like I love the way you hold yourself you know especially when Jax was on watch what happens live and like under his breath saying oh well Ariana's a lesbian and that is the reason that you don't want to get married and have a baby the fact that you went on watch what happens live after and pointed out that he said this in front of a gay host who is a single dad himself. I know. 
it pointed out the total, the ignorance, first of all, and just like the hypocrisy. And the reason that I love you and why I think you're fantastic is that you're smart enough to grasp onto all of these things. And you're not also not afraid to like go right out there on TV and like have it make comprehensive sense. Well, thank you for that. I, yeah, I was kind of like, this doesn't make sense. (laughs) I, yeah, I think sometimes I, more, more, most of the time, I think he just doesn't think before he speaks and things like that come out that, that really don't, that doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Andy is a gay single dad, you know, it's, it's, it's silly. And, but I think that something I've learned over the years is that it is just to own who you are and what's going on. And, you know, if you, deny something about yourself to people then it just feels like it doesn't go away or that people don't leave you alone about it but if you're just like this is who I am then I'm like then nobody can tell me shit if I'm like guys I live with depression it's fine I I get through my life I'm living like I'm enjoying life but yeah it's a thing it's a thing and it's fine then nobody can fucking come to me and tell me shit about you know there's still, there's still so many stigmas when it comes to a lot of things, not just like mental health stigmas, but like sexuality stigmas, like all of that. There's still so much of that. And it's just kind of like, yeah, that's me. And what? Got a problem? <laughs> Tell me about your home buying process. I only know what it's like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you know anything about New York City real estate, but it is um, a fucking horror uh-huh. show <laughs> in terms of, you know, buying the process of buying an apartment, hell, even renting an apartment. Oh God, yeah, I saw they just got rid of that broker's fee thing, though. So that's cool. Tell me your personal experience. What neighborhoods did you look in? Everything. Yeah, so our real estate agent is one of Tom's best friends since they were in elementary school together. And when we talked about buying a house together, we knew that we were going to go with um, his friend, Doug. And Doug works for a company called Redesign, where it's kind of like property brothers in a sense, where like they'll help you get a house, but then if there's renovations, like they can manage the project. They can tell you right away how much that's going to cost, what you'd be getting yourself into if you got this, that, or the other. So when he was like, okay, are you guys ready? You know, we went through the pre-approval loan process, which was, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like they'll drudge up stuff that you're like, are you kidding me? That like cable bill from 1990 and an unpaid parking, t- parking yeah, ticket from like, 95. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so crazy. We, yeah. So we went through the pre-approval process for the loan. Then we started looking around at houses and we looked everywhere. We looked at houses. Um, we started thinking 2,500 square feet is like, that's what we need. That's it. And we looked at a really cute house. It was on a, so a lot of these hill houses, it's like, looks like, of course, like one story in the front and then the back, it's like, and this house was like, looked like we were in a tree house. It was so cool. Then we were looking around, we're like, this isn't going to function for us. So we were like, okay, Tom was like, I want a view. So we start looking at houses in the hills with views. Okay. Well, a house in the hills is going to be like multi-level, smaller this way, but then stacked. And then you're going to have the view, but then you're not going to have a yard. And I was like, that's a deal breaker for me. Must have a yard. I need grass. My dog needs to go outside, run around. I want to get more dogs. Like I need that. So yeah, we looked in the Hollywood Hills. We looked in like the Coenga Pass, Benedict Canyon. I went and looked at a house by myself once when Tom was busy. And it was like the tallest house or the house all the way at the top, 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 top hill, which was cool, but no. Then we looked at this like storybook house in Toluca Lake that was so beautiful and so cool, but it was already at like the top of our budget. And we kind of had this thing after we looked at like 20 or so houses where you walk in the house, you look in the bathroom and you see a pedestal sink and you know right away, this is a no because pedestal sink means no storage, nothing. And that also means that how much money to rip this one out and put in a new one. And that's money right away that I know we're spending without even looking at inspection, even getting inspection or anything. You are so right on the money with the pedestal. (laughs) We hate a pedestal (laughs) sink. We hate. Yeah. Oh my God. So yeah, that was like, 
we looked at that house and it was older. It was built in the 1920s. It was so beautiful, but it was just so much. The brick around the pool was all going to have to be redone. And it's just not workable for us. So eventually, yeah, we just kept looking. And I think this was like the 28th, maybe 27, 28th house we looked at was this one. And when we walked in, it, yeah, it has like on the outside, this kind of like farmhouse, whatever. But then when you walked in, it was like the way that they did it, the way that this, so the guy who sold it to us was actually also the builder. Um, And he was very picky about like, who was getting this house and how much he would come down in price because he like actually spent the time doing it. And it like lends itself to more of like a modern eclectic vibe, but it still has this, like it just works and it's got the sliding. I'm like literally looking at it right now. It's got the sliding door that goes all the way open and then into the wall. So like you can basically have like an indoor outdoor live giant living room. And I just, we just automatically had black walls, accent walls and like gold fixtures. And we're just like, this is it. Like, this is it. We looked at a few houses after that. And I was just kept saying like, what's going on with that other one though? Like what's happening there? Because I don't want to, I love it so much. I don't want to like lose it. And so then ended up putting in an offer and then the escrow process begins, except the offer escrow process begins. And that is the most stressful and terrifying part of all of it. Escrow is hell on earth. Escrow is every day you get a phone call and the phone call sounds like we lost it. We lost the house. We lost it. And then you like fill out this form and you send this thing to this person. And then it's like, okay, we're back on. And then the next, it's like every day is like a mini heart attack until finally you like get the keys and you go to the notary and you thumbprint your (laughs) paperwork and you sign all that shit. You're like, Oh my God, finally now it's ours. And then you're like, okay, now what do we do with all this space? How many rooms, uh, like bedrooms, bathrooms do you guys have? We have five bedrooms and five and a half bathrooms. And so did you like each take a bedroom for one of your closets? No. So we each have our own closet too. So that was another thing about a lot of the older homes that we looked at is older homes. It's almost like, did they not have clothes back then? (laughs) Like there's no closets in these old houses. And I'm like, guys, um, I need a closet. So when we walked into this place, what was so cool is like when you go into the master bedroom, there's a closet on the left and a closet on the right. I just imagine we'll live here for a very long time before we ever feel like, okay, we're done. You know, I just think that we'll be continually being like, what if we did this? I like it. Ariana, you're the greatest. Thank you so much. Should we move on to Tom and Ariana? Yes, because it's such a different, such a different energy. Tom and Ariana's synastry, for the most part, is wonderful. So Ariana's Venus, sextiles, 60-degree angle, harmonious, Tom's son. Venus, sun, sextiles, or trines in synastry are the best aspect you can have between two people because it gives genuine affection, it gives warmth, and it gives friendship. It gives like a genuine friendship with this person when you have venus and the sun getting along between two people's charts they truly care for each other and want the best for each other venus and the sun is not necessarily a super hot and sexy passionate aspect but it is like the if you're sick i'll be here for you if you're Mm -hmm. feeling down i'll be here for you there's that ariana's mars sextiles tom's mercury mercury is communication and mars provides energy and vitality so i feel like with this aspect they have very good communication with each other i feel like tom is able to motivate ariana Mm -hmm. because tom's mercury his speech what he says awakens ariana's mars which is vitality and energy and passion and assertiveness so she needs tom to wake up her mars energy Uh uh-huh that makes complete sense And then Ariana's son conjuncts Tom's Mars. Conjuncts meaning sits right on top of. This is a very good aspect for sexuality and passion. This is like 
a, an aspect that talks about being physically attracted to each other. So what's really nice is that they have a Venus-Sun contact of love and friendship, and then the Sun-Mars that is like, well, you're more than friends because you're like into each other and you mm-hmm. find each other hot. Mm-hmm. Really nice. The one thing that they have to watch here or work on is that their moons are... Okay, two things. Their moons are in two signs that don't really see things the same way. Tom has a moon in Gemini. Ariana has it in Virgo. But the way they're placed in the chart, they're not even aspecting one another. So what happens here is that actually their moons, each person's moon here, is not doing anything in the other person's chart. Hmm. So what, is, can, what can that mean? This can mean that, the, that each person here can sometimes feel... Like their emotions are not validated or not understood fully. Now, in context, I think all these other aspects can help mitigate this a little bit. But Tom's moon in Gemini needs to talk things out all the time. Because Gemini is about talking, talking, talking. So the moon in Gemini, what do they need to feel emotionally safe? They need to have a conversation with you. And they need to know what you're thinking and they tell you what they're thinking, blah, blah, blah. With her moon in Virgo, though, Ariana needs time to process things, mm-hmm. and then she can talk. But that's going to be a sticking point, because I think Tom is more the person who, as soon as something comes up, he's like, let's talk about it right now. Mm-hmm. And Ariana's like, I need like a week to figure out what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, and then I can talk to you. You know, so that's going to be one thing to keep in mind, because if not, what can happen is that... Tom can feel not heard or not validated because Ariana can be like, I'm not ready for this. But then Ariana can feel like her emotional needs are not respected because she's like, dude, I said I need space. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people put a microscope on their relationship because it is obvious that Tom is the type of guy that would typically want to get married and have a family and have kids. Whereas Ariana has been very vocal that she does not want to get married, does not want to have kids. Is there anything that you can see where, I mean, obviously Tom right now has compromised all of that, but can a relationship like this go the distance? Like, is there anything astrologically speaking that addresses this? Because these are two fundamental, like, it's almost like he said, he says he doesn't want these things, but it's obvious that he does. He's just sacrificing and making this enormous compromise and sacrifice in order to be with Ariana. So their composite chart shows that this can really go the distance, and here's why. Number one, in their composite chart, which is a chart of the relationship, you have, and this is very rare, the Sun, Mars, and Venus are all right next to each other. This is one of the aspects that's called like the classic marriage aspect. When you have this in a chart, it just means that there's so much love here. That's why people can make compromises without feeling resentful. But also what they have in their composite chart that is huge. Saturn is the glue in a relationship. You need Saturn contacts, especially positive ones. And in their composite chart, Tom and Ariana have the sun trining Saturn, 120 degree angle, and Venus trining Saturn. And these two contacts are about going the distance. Because when Saturn is involved, when Saturn is involved like this, it's very hard for two people to throw in the towel or it takes a lot. Mm -hmm. So I feel like no matter what, their number one goal for both of them will always be to make this work. Interesting. So who knows? Maybe Ariana will then compromise. We never know. But this is not a relationship where two people are just going to be like, you know what? F it. I'm done with this. That's not the vibe I get at all. At all. Right. Was there anything else in their composite chart? The only challenging aspect is the moon square Pluto. So with the moon square Pluto, what they have to watch, what they really need is people around them who don't bring them drama. Because this relationship can be very easily tainted by intensity that comes from the outside that they're just absorbing from other people. Yeah, they. You know, Jax has gone on record saying that they are glorified roommates. That who? That Ariana and Tom? Yeah, he like has done interviews so let's talk about Jax and Sandoval's yes. Sinistry. Yes. Very interesting because it shows, you know, a Sinistry is a snapshot in time. So it doesn't tell me like, well, you know, in 1999, but it does tell me why a relationship can go sour. 
and why it can start off beautifully. Yeah, because they were they were best friends for I think they've been really, you know, they had been very close friends for like 15 years or something. I know that they had lived together in Miami. Remember, like Jax yeah. was living with, oh, that, with guy. that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were like models together. And like mm. maybe they even lived together in New York. Then they lived together for a while when they were in L.A. But Jax is also the guy that fucked Kristen, his best friend's girlfriend. It's like somewhere along the line, like this went really, really bad. And yeah. they tried to like scotch tape the friendship together, but we're obviously at this point where. Yeah. So, you know, their moons are very compatible. You know, Sandoval's moon in Gemini, Jax's moon in Aquarius, those two moons. Well, you know, like I was saying earlier, when you have compatible moons, you just get each other. So you can form a bond very, very quickly mm-hmm. because emotionally what you both need is very similar. So you're not trying to figure out this person where you're like, why are they acting like this? You get mm-hmm. it. You understand each other. So good moon synastry can account for people getting along very well and just, you know, having a very solid friendship. However, what's happening in this chart, and it's almost an exact aspect, is that Jax's Pluto squares Sandoval's sun. That's a very challenging aspect to have with somebody because the Pluto person, Jax, tends to want to control and dominate and have the final say and steamroll over the sun person, in this case, Sandoval. Mm -hmm. And like anything else, there's going to be, at some point, if that's not checked, something will happen that just the straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm -hmm. Pluto, sun squares in Sinistry. However, what also happens with Pluto, anytime Pluto is involved, you have to understand that it's like to really detach yourself from the relationship it's like getting out of a python's grip. You can do it, but it takes... It's very difficult. For, it's going to be difficult for the t- two of them to extricate from each other? Well, now they might. But think about all the... But think about, the, to your point, like when Jax, you know, slept with Kristen, you oh, would have thought yeah. that would have been the final straw. Right. But then... But yet he's the best man in the wedding. Right. That's what I mean, that when you have a Pluto square with somebody in Sinistry... It takes a million straws to break the camel's back. Uh-huh. And then finally something does. But that's why... And it seems like, according to Jax, it was the fact that he brought this pastor stuff up again in front of the cameras. And that's why Jax was pissed. Which was Because he was turning it into an even bigger storyline than it was already. But again, that is Jax playing the Pluto here and calling all the shots. Mm-hmm. And just kind of being very Plutonian. Very much like, you know, it's my way or the highway. Uh-huh. Which really, I think, is ridiculous. I mean, it's a. Of course, he's going to bring it up for the. Cam- Why wouldn't he bring it up for the cameras? Right. Right. But you know what really struck me was that scene where they were sitting outside by the dumpster. So yeah, the sir, the sir dumped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and it makes sense because you know they. Both- oh, because they weren't looking. Yeah, they were looking like both straight ahead. Yes, because they both have their moons and air signs. Air signs are fine communicating their emotions because air signs are about communication and the moon is about your emotions. They don't mind talking about emotions, but feeling emotions is a whole other ballgame. So when you have your moon in Aquarius like Jax or the moon in Gemini like Tom, talking about it feels safe, but looking somebody in the eye and maybe seeing that they're hurt or maybe really letting them see that you're hurt, that's more difficult. If you had a moon in Cancer or a moon in Pisces, you would be mm-hmm. all about it. So I can see why when two people with their moon in an air sign have to address an issue, they're fine sitting next to each other, but they kind of avoid eye contact mm-hmm. because it just, that's a little bit too hard for them. And that's why I think we saw that. Can we talk about Ariana's depression? And like, or mm-hmm. basically, what do you see in her chart that she was going through? I guess they must have filmed that in June 2019. So I'm curious mm. if maybe you can talk about what's coming up. You know, what what was Ariana going through at that time, astrologically speaking? And also, where is she going to be over the course of 2020? So when I look at what's happening in Ariana's chart in the summer of 2019, she had a once-in-a-lifetime transit. That's, that It's so rare that some people never have it. If you do have it, it's once-in-a-lifetime. It lasts about 18 months, 12 to 18 months. She had Neptune opposite her moon a very difficult transit so the moon is our emotional world when neptune opposes the moon i equate this to emotionally feeling like you are dropped off in the atlantic ocean at three in the morning 
there's not even moonlight. There's not. There's nothing. There's no light anywhere. It's mm-hmm. three in the morning. It's dark. You're dropped off. There's no land around you, and you're just treading water. Mm-hmm. And you have this feeling that you're like, I have nothing to hold on to. I can't see anything. I'm scared for my life. I don't know what's going to happen. That's what was happening for her emotionally at that time. Neptune opposing the moon is difficult because Neptune dissolves whatever it comes in contact with. So when you have this transit, there's a part of you emotionally that feels very unhappy. But the issue is that because Neptune confuses you, you can't identify what it is. So all you know is that something feels off, but I don't know what. And if you don't know what, then you don't even know how to solve it. Mm -hmm. It's very demoralizing, very confusing time. Well, that makes sense because she is in a happy relationship. Like she even says, like, I love you so much to Tom. But yet she's obviously she's been so unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that's that I think happened looking back at 2020, like the first few months of 2020, like end of 2019, beginning of 2020. By then she had Saturn. Uh, forming a very positive aspect to her Venus. So I suspect that by end of 2019, beginning of 2020, more stability, especially in her relationship with Tom, happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, as we move into 2022, she's going to have Uranus trining her moon that's going to give her like a, like a jolt of energy that'll make her feel creative and alive again. So this Neptune thing is over, I would say, by now, by March, April 2020, it's on its way out. Cool. Um, And then 2022 especially will be a very good year for her because by then all these problematic transits are gone and she'll have this really exciting Uranus energy giving her a really nice jolt. We love Ariana We do. Love her. And Tom. I mean, I as a couple, I think they're fantastic. Yeah. I personally love them. Yeah. Andy, this has been so much fun. I mean, I personally have learned so much. You know, I find it really interesting hearing about, like, the the composites and, like, how the, the relationship stuff. Um, where can people find you online if they either just want to – I know you put up a lot of content. Like, every day you do, like, selfie videos and you talk about what's going on in the planets. Mm-hmm. Um, where can people find you? So I'm on Instagram at Astrology with Andy, and you can book a reading. I, I, ha- I have, like – 10 different kind of readings that I do depending on what you need. Mm-hmm. And you can find me at astrologywithandy.com. Perfect. And how often do you recommend somebody get a reading? No sooner than every 12 months. Every 12 to 18 months. Because okay. when you do a reading with me, we talk about what's happening for the next 12 to 18 months. Cool. If you come back to me three months later, I have nothing new to share with yeah. you, really. So, you know, yeah. when you do a reading with me, it's very in-depth, very detailed i mean i have people who take notes and tell me they have nine pages of notes after our readings okay so yeah there's a lot to talk about amazing all right astrology with andy and you will definitely be back you can follow me jess xnyc you can watch videos of past interviews over on youtube just plug in hot takes and deep dives my name and we'll see you soon 